Welcome to Hydrant Church Online. It is so great to be with you this afternoon. Now, I understand this is not how we intended to gather this weekend, and we thought we were going to be able to be outside and be together, but the weather has just not cooperated with us. But we're glad that we get to be together in this way. Now, we've been going through a series of messages over the last several weeks called the Warrior's Code. And in this set of messages, we've been talking about what it means to embrace and encounter and receive God's peace. It's it's about this ancient pathway to peace and how then, having been transformed within, we become agents of that transformation all around us. Now today, I want to actually step away from that series of messages and, and do something a little bit different. And we'll come back and finish up that series next week. Today, I want to take us in a different direction. I want to take a few minutes and dive into the Word and to think about how to engage in tumultuous, divisive, chaotic situations. It doesn't take much for us to look around, to, to jump on social media and see the division and the arguments that are going on all around us. It seems like this season that has been triggered by COVID pandemic is is causing so many of us to try to find ways to, to bring peace, to engage peace, to encounter peace, and to connect with other people. But yet we, we end up getting in our own way. We end up in the midst of these arguments that really aren't nearly as important or as significant as we really, as we really act like they are sometimes. And I mean, it it takes about five minutes on social media to realize that people are arguing over gender and race and politics. We're fighting over whether or not we should wear masks or whether or not we should go out and who's good and who's bad and who's right and, and who's wrong. And we're just throwing these these darts at one another with our words and we're we are we're finding families that are in the midst of extra strife and difficulty and, and finding themselves a little disconnected and divided during this time and I, and I want to go into the word and and go into the life of Jesus and the words of Paul who points us back to Jesus to see what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a time that is marked with division, in a time when, when those around us would rather argue than have a discussion, when we would rather come at each other than come together. And so we're going we're gonna to just jump into the Word. If we look at the life of Jesus, we see all kinds of teachings. But then we come to the very end, and He has this night with His disciples, and it's kind of His, his final night with them, before he heads into the trial and crucifixion and, and then the resurrection. So it's, we can, we can look at those hours together as something especially significant that Jesus is going to say to them some of the most important things that he has ever said to them. It's kind of this, listen, if you don't remember anything else I've said, remember this. And so they gather together for a meal. And as they come together in the room, There's a job that needs to be done, but it's a job nobody wants to do. It's a job for the lowest servant, for the least important person in the room. And Jesus, 
Jesus gets up from where he's sitting and he wraps the towel around his waist and he he grabs a basin of water and he begins to do this job. He begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And one by one, he takes their their muddy, stinky, dirty, nasty feet and he begins to wash them clean. He comes to Peter and Peter's like, listen, you can't wash my feet. You're too important to do this. And, and Jesus says, listen, this is what needs to happen. He said, well, if that's the case, then, then wash me all over. He says, well, Peter, that's crazy. You've already had a bath. You really just need to let me wash your feet. And so he washes his feet. And when he gets done, he says to him, listen, I have shown you something really important. I've modeled a way of being. And then In John chapter 13, verse 34, after the meal, he says something to them that's really significant. He says to them this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So Jesus has already at one point in his teaching summed up the entirety of the law and prophets with the words, love God and love one another. Now he comes, he says, listen, I want to take that even deeper and I'm giving you a new command. Love one another the way I've loved you. That's how people will know you're mine. Not the way, don't, he says, don't even love people the way you wish they love you. Don't love them the way you think they deserve. Don't love them the way you think you deserve. Don't love them by putting your needs first. Instead, love them the way that I have loved you. And that's how people will know your mind. This is how people will know that you are a part of the family of Jesus, that you are a disciple, that you are a Christian, a part of the church is the way you love one another. Does your love look like Jesus? And if it does, they'll know you belong to Him. It's not about whether or not you come to worship in a building outside or online. It doesn't matter whether you do it every week or not. That's not going to tell people that what really is important to you. It's not about the money that you give, though that's important. It's not about the time you spend in the Word, learning and the things that you know, though that's important. The most important thing, the way that the world will know that we belong to Jesus, the the singular command is to love one another the way He's loved us. Though with the love that He has loved us, we take it and we let it overflow in love for one another. We read and we give and we we serve and we pray all to understand more deeply His love for us and how to love one another. It's not about gaining more knowledge or understanding or correct beliefs. All of that is meant to inform the way we love. But what does that look like? How do we take this from first century to 21st century? How do we take it from that world to our world? the, The reality is there's probably not that much difference in the way that people are dividing themselves now than they were then. Other than the fact that we can see it and hear it all around the world much more quickly. 
It doesn't, you, you can now jump behind a screen, use a keyboard to say the things that you used to have to say to someone in person. And those are the biggest differences. And so the things that we find in Scripture are just as important as ever. But I want to kind of give you a warning as we jump into this. This is not natural for any of us. It is not our first inclination. And you're probably not going to like at least something I say. You may not like anything I say for the rest of this message. But it's something that I believe that Jesus would say to us. And we got to remember, the religious people especially got mad at him about every time he talked. So we need to listen. We need to hear what we see in Scripture and allow it to shape how we act and how we speak and how we think. And I think there are some things that if we're going to, to embrace the love of Jesus for others, then, then we realize that if nothing else marks that love, it was sacrificial. It was compassionate and sacrificial. He sacrificed heaven to come here. He sacrificed his very life to demonstrate his love and devotion and to bring salvation to every person, to change the world. He was willing to sacrifice. And if we're going to love the way that he loves, it's going to require some sacrifices. I think that one of those sacrifices is the need to be right. That if we're going to love the way that Jesus loves, then love sacrifices the need to be right. And instead, we, we go to win the relationship. It's always more important to win the relationship than it is to win the argument, than it is to win the fight, than it is to prove that we're right. If we have to lose the relationship with those God loves and He has given us to love to be right, then we're wrong. There are ways to engage and love one another without forcing those issues, without getting into those arguments. No one wins them. If we look at Philippians chapter 2, you can turn there in the, in the New Testament with me. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, we find these words. Therefore, if... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in His Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, basically, if you have received anything good from Jesus, if He has been compassionate or tender with you, if He has forgiven you, if He has given you hope, if He has given you joy, if He has given you strength, then Paul writes to the church in Philippi, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And here's where it gets really hard. Do nothing, not one thing, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So here we see that Jesus was willing to sacrifice Himself and that we're called to love the way that He loved. 
to put the needs and interests of others above our own. Perhaps, perhaps you and I have a tendency when a, when a news report comes out, when another report about COVID or another law or instruction from our governor comes out, when, when something new comes out and, and some new problem happens in the world, our first thought, our first question, and usually it happens unconsciously, is to ask, well, what does this mean for me? What about my rights? What about my privileges? What about my life? What about the things that I've earned? What about the things that I've done? What about my job and my business and my family? What about me? And here we're told to look to the interests of others and begin to ask the question, what does this mean for others? What does this mean for our entire community? What does this mean for the least of these, the marginalized, the written off, the forgotten? What does this mean for those who are stuck in poverty cycles? What does this mean for those who don't have enough to eat? What does this mean for those who have to work every day to be able to make sure that they can make it week to week? What does this mean for others? Not just what does this mean for me, but it's humility. Look to the interests of others and stop asking this question of, well, what about me? What about me? What about mine? What about what I get or have done or need? And we have to sacrifice for the sake of others. When we're in an argument, when we're in a discussion, when we're in a relationship, one of the best and most loving things we can do is sacrifice the need to be right. The need to prove that we're right and someone else is wrong. Because no one wins that argument. Instead, we try to see from another's perspective. We try to continue to build in that relationship. This brings us to the next one. And this one maybe even gets a little harder than the first. Because love not only sacrifices the need to be right, love sacrifices the right to always express my opinion. Love sacrifices the right to always express my opinion. And you may be saying, hold up, pastor, we're in America where we have this this little thing that is called the freedom of speech. And I get to say what I want to say whenever I want to say it. If I want to stand on the corner and shout it, then I can do that. If If I disagree with everyone else in the world, I get to do that. No one gets to shut down my voice. And that's completely true. That's, that's completely true. But every thought that comes into your mind or my mind is not worth expressing. Every opinion we have is not worth expressing. In fact, if we don't have a relationship with someone, they have no interest in our opinion. Until they ask our opinion, chances are they have no interest in our opinion, and we're only looking to go back and prove we're right and they're wrong. We're looking to change their minds when we're not the one who brings about change in people's life. Yes, there are times to speak the truth. There are the times to stand up for justice. But there's also times to close our mouths, to, to not express that opinion, to not post that thought, not to not reshare that thing just because we liked it or we thought it would put someone 
else in their place, or it, it was a bash against that politician that we disagree with. I love, I love the, uh, the words of Bernard Meltzer as he asks four questions of everything that is about to be said. And it's a practice that all of us could begin to, to, to engage in. Maybe, maybe we ask these four questions before we write a post or before we share a post on social media or before we, we engage in a conversation. We can ask ourselves the question, is this true? Is it actually true? Have I verified it? Do I know that it's true? There's, it's gotten very hard to know exactly for sure what is true and what is not. We have to do the extra legwork and not assume that some meme or post or article is true. We need to be able to understand what is real and true and be sure before we speak it and before we say it and before we post it. Not only is it true, they could pass that truth test and yet not pass the other three. Because the next question is, is it kind? So it's important that it's true, but it's just as important that this is kind, that it is expressed in a way that is kind and encouraging and brings out the best. And then we ask, is it necessary? Because something can be true and it can be kind, but it's not necessary. And it's not helpful. And that's our four questions. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And is it helpful? And if it doesn't pass all four of those, delete it. Choose not to say it. Hold it to yourself and let it ruminate. Maybe think of another way to say it. Maybe it's just not the right time to express that opinion. And sometimes there are things that we think that are necessary that aren't really necessary. If we go back to our Bibles and just turn one page forward from Philippians chapter 2, we come to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says this, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Not your needs or what you want to say or what you think they need but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We need to be careful of the words that we say and the things that we post to be sure that they are meeting the needs of others. They are building others up instead of tearing people down. It's a huge question for the way we speak to one another in our homes and in our families and in our workplaces. Neighbor, are we breaking people down or building them up? We're called to, to build others up according to their needs. If we keep going, I think that the next thing that we are challenged by the life of Jesus to do is to sacrifice our desire to criticize. We are, we are called to sacrifice our desire to criticize. Love sacrifices the desire to criticize. If we go to Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, then we read these words. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve 
one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. It's what we're seeing happening in the culture, in the world around us, as people bite and devour each other with criticism, and we are destroying one another, destroying the society and the culture that we have created over the last several hundred years. We're seeing it break down. We are also seeing some of these these sins of the past rise to the forefront and we have the ability at this moment to find forgiveness and grace and build a new future but as long as we are criticizing as long as we are tearing down instead of creating then we're just devouring one another every word every criticism is like taking another bite from someone when we criticize our children day in and day out We are biting and devouring and destroying them. When we criticize our spouses every day, then we are are breaking down who they are and who God called them to be. That's what we're really criticizing. We criticize our coworkers, our boss, our president, our other politicians, our leaders, whoever it is. With every criticism and bite, we are just destroying and devouring one another. There is a time for criticism, especially constructive criticism. But that time is after someone asks for it. That's when it's helpful. That's when it's needed. Until then, it's just criticism. And it doesn't produce the end goal of transformation until someone is ready to hear it. It takes wisdom and understanding to know when and how. We have to sacrifice our desire to criticize everything we see and experience and are a part of. Love sacrifices sacrifices the desire to criticize. And we're able to do this, I think, as we move into this next one. Love, love believes the best in others. Love believes the best in others. Love believes that that others and even ourselves, that we are doing the best that we can. Love looks at our neighbors and our spouses and our kids and our co-workers and our family members and says, listen, with what they've been through and what they know and what their, their emotional state is and their physical state is and with everything going on in their lives, they're doing the best that they can. And I can offer them a little bit of grace and help and strength. And again, I know some of you are saying, Pastor, there is no way that they're doing the best they can. You're thinking about it. You can name someone in your mind right now that you are flat out convinced they're not doing the best they can. Maybe you would even say that about yourself. And you might be right. You might be right. But here's what I've figured out. My life is infinitely better. I have much more joy and peace and hope when I choose to believe that people are doing the best that they can. And they may need some new knowledge or experience or freedom to do better. And that may be possible. But in this moment, they're doing the best they can. And when I choose to allow love to believe the best in others, 
it changes me. I no longer am holding on to records of wrongs. I'm no longer holding on to unforgiveness. It can make me patient and kind and gracious. And my life begins to reflect the words of Paul to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's important. You should turn your Bibles there or get your phone and, and look it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 4. Love. Love. Love that... that that Paul has just before written, he said, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. I'm going to show you the best way to live here. And it's love. Loving the way that Jesus loved. This love is, according to verse 4, patient. It's kind. It does not envy and it does not boast. It isn't proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Do our words reflect this kind of love? Do our posts reflect this kind of love? Do our engagement with those in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and our community and our church, does it reflect this kind of love? Because this is the love that Jesus has shown us. One that was persevering and hopeful and never giving up. Love that was patient and kind and refused to be proud. So we choose to love by believing the best and not holding on to the past, not being easily angered, not criticizing, not forcing our opinion, not needing to be right. Instead, we love. When we do this, we'll start to see the image of God in every person we meet. Love sees the image of God in every person we meet. Genesis chapter 1 says that we are created man and woman in the image of God, that every person has the spark of the Creator within them. There is something in them that reflects the, the image of God, the idea, the beauty, the, the mystery, and the power, and the strength, and the, the grace and creativity of God is in them. And we need to look for it. We need to look for it before we criticize, before we spread our opinions, before we say that hurtful thing. Stop and look and see the beauty and the image of God in every person you know. In every person, the one who thinks differently than you, believes differently than you, lives differently than you, acts differently than you, goes places differently than you, chooses to, to, to stand and vote differently than you. There is a, a piece of the image of God in them. And we need to see it and, and call it out and bring it out and nurture it and encourage it and believe in what's possible. The last thing today is this. Love finds a way to serve. Love finds a way to serve. Something about serving is healing to our body. It's healing to our mind. It's healing to our heart. It shifts our perspective from us and our problems and our disappointments and our struggles and our rights and our opinions and allows us to see Jesus. In fact, when Jesus said that, that when you have served the least of these, you have served me, He's not saying you'll be Jesus to them. He's saying they will be Jesus to you. They will be healing and encouraging and joyful to you. 
They will bring grace to you when you serve others. It's what he modeled for us. We read it in the first part of it in in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, as we continue to read, it says this, Jesus, who, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, and he took on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. I recognize that there is a high likelihood that I stepped on your toes at some point in this message. I've said something that likely you just completely disagree with. I'm okay with that. My hope is that as Hydrant Church and those who are engaged in ministry together, that those who claim the name of Christ will begin to love the way that He does. And yes, I I recognize it's, it's counterintuitive. It's It's different than our nature. It's different than what our culture is telling us to do. But it's love. Love changes us. Love changes our world. Think back onto that moment when you encountered the love of Jesus. And you realize in that moment just how unworthy you were. How unclean and broken you were. All of the ways that you had wandered in your life. All of the things that you had done that you knew were destructive and hurtful to yourself. And and all of the ways that you had hurt those around you. All of the ways that you had messed up your life. And then you met Jesus who looked at you and said, I love you. I love you in the midst of every one of those moments. In every one of your failures and disappointments, in the struggle and the weakness and the wounds that you carry, I love you. You are worthy of my love. I love you. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. Said, I love you. I love you because of what's happened in me. And we, as His people, we go into a world and we love well. We love sacrificially. Not because of who they are or what they think or whether they agree with us. We love because Jesus loved us. And we have no choice but having been filled with that love to let it overflow. We can't say we hate our brother and love Jesus. These are the words of James, the brother of Jesus. We can't say that we hate our brother, but love Jesus. There is something about hatred on a horizontal level with other people. Something about that brokenness that breaks our relationship with Jesus. We have to love. Love well. Love patiently. Love sacrificially. It is how our love for Jesus expresses itself in this life and in this world. May we be people who are known, not for what we believe or what we think, not for how religious we are, but for our love. Let's pray. Father, I want to echo the words of your son as he prayed for us. He prayed that we would be unified, that we would be unified in love. 
for you and one another and for those around us in the midst of any persecution or pain or struggle that we would continue to love, strengthened by your presence in us, filled with your spirit and with your hope and with your joy. May we love well in this season that is marked with division and disagreement and lots of opinions and thoughts and ideas and anger. Would you teach us to rise above those things with love? Love that supersedes, love that brings people together. Your love. You loved us when we were unworthy and separate and running far from you. And you've given us home. And you send us out with that love to help others find home to you. Keep us on mission, a mission of love. Amen.